0: You are listening to Sejura Decoding Law Podcast. I am Genevieve Dubois, the Chief Marketing and Innovation Officer of Sejura. And I am Phyllis Schuster, the Chief Team Intelligence
1: Officer of Sejura. And, and we, we are, are lawyers.
0: lawyers. Together, we will decode the secrets of legal services so that you, as a business owner, know how to use legal services to your advantage. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. A new episode. This is Genevieve Dubois. I'm CMIO of Cedrera, that is Chief Marketing Innovation Officer. And today with me, like every week, um, is my partner, Phyllis. Hi, Phyllis. Hi, Genev. Good morning.
1: It is another Monday morning. Appreciate everybody listening to us as well. I'm Phyllis Schuster. I'm the Chief Team Intelligence Officer and the Executive Legal Managing
0: Director of Cedrera. Welcome. And we are both lawyers, but most importantly, we're both business owners of our company called c And today, actually, we're going to dive into something a little bit, hopefully a bit more fun topic, which is the myths about lawyers. And since we're lawyers, this will be very interesting because we're going to be honest with you. Um, you're going to hear lawyers talking about the myths about ourselves. Um, so let's dive into it. Are you ready, Phyllis? I'm ready, Genevieve. Let's start with myth number one. The only time you need a lawyer is when you're in trouble. What do you think? I think that that is a little bit too late already. actually that I think a lot of people think that um you know if you're gonna have to call a lawyer, that means you really need them, otherwise you try to avoid them. It's like in my in my world it's like dentist, but it's just like dentist prevention is they're also very important, and lawyers actually do a lot of different things other than just going to court. And resolve your disputes or defend you from certain type of investigations. Um, when you are, you know, have your business, you have your life, especially if you form a company. Actually, from the very beginning, you should think about having at least a friend who is a lawyer that you can ask general questions. Then you know exactly what you when you need a lawyer. Most lawyers are. Uh, A lot of lawyers are litigators, but like Phyllis and I, we are transactional lawyers. And transactional lawyers are people, lawyers that help clients in their companies, um, including formation of the company, operation, management of the company, structuring, strategizing where your company is going, employment, and down to acquisition, so if you want to buy another company, uh, buy a property, buy a machine, equipment, you're going to encounter um, all kinds of legal procedures. And that's when you really need to think about having a lawyer um, give you advice. So we our episode one actually dives into when you definitely need a lawyer. But um, definitely, I think myth number one is false because... Most lawyers are here to help you when you're not in trouble yet. What do you think, Phyllis?
1: I think you're spot on. I also think when clients in in their businesses are concerned about cost and being cost effective, that concept of, Uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, It's always less expensive in my view and from my experience for clients to do things and set them up right rather than find out later they sent them, set them up wrong and then have to either, either they're quote in trouble or there's an issue or it's very expensive. So I think the looking at things from more the prevention and the maintenance side is really a much better plan for a business in terms of conserving funds and also i think they end up spending a lot less time because fighting over something is always more time consuming and more expensive than setting it up
0: properly to begin with so that brings us to myth number two which is any lawyer can help me on legal needs is that correct phyllis no Genevieve, that's totally false uh, there are specialists
1: and there are generalists. And just like doctors, you don't go to a hand surgeon to deliver a baby. <laughs> there are special doctors, just like there are special lawyers. And one of the things that we have seen, for instance, where we tend both as uh, corporate and real estate lawyers, uh, is that one area that we absolutely go out to get specialized advice for is for tax matters because taxation is very complex and requires a special skill and special knowledge. And so for that, that usually requires the special expertise of a tax specialist since getting no advice or the wrong advice can be very costly.
0: Yeah. And real estate transactions usually handled by real estate attorneys. Corporate attorneys usually handle corporate matters. Some of the corporate attorneys also have general understanding about real estate because a lot of companies, when you buy a company, they own real estate. Um, but sophisticated corporate attorneys, they understand they need to bring in a real estate attorney to do the due diligence and also to make sure that the real estate component in the corporate acquisition is also done correctly. And attorneys going to be able to tell you, you know, if you go to one of the attorneys, I need to do this. Um, and the attorneys will be able to tell you, okay, when you bring in this expert, that expert. And uh, sometimes the clients get an impression of, oh, you're just trying to increase number of work described so you can charge me more. You know, you're a lawyer. why can't you just do everything? There's not possible. Um, the other thing I think is important is jurisdiction. If you have a real estate attorney that you know in Chicago, and you want to buy a property in Texas, They mostly, most likely they have to bring in a Texas attorney. There are little things in each state. Um, the law, the procedures are different. So you also have to think about um, different jurisdictions. In court proceedings, litigation is definitely true. A litigator in California and actually in a county in California, they would uh, very hesitated to go to another county in California I'll go to court. Um, it, and definitely not in other states. And the reason being, in a court proceeding, there's a lot of procedural things. Um, different states have a little bit slightly different rules, as well as there are a lot of human interaction at the courthouse. And a lot of litigators, they are very comfortable in a state court, federal court, in their county or their jurisdiction, but not comfortable in the other one. So those are the things that you have to um, be aware of. You don't have to decide. You you are not a lawyer, so you don't have to decide which jurisdiction, where do I need to find a lawyer. You do need to start with a lawyer to be able to help you um, to decide which kind of lawyers can help you.
1: I think that's true, Genev. And I also think there's one little component that is sort of, when you said the human component. Uh, I know a lot of litigators who say we have to have local counsel because they know the judges and the judges know them. And whatever little bit of advantage there is to having a local lawyer uh, be in front of the judge, you want to make sure your client has that advantage. So that, that there's just sort of built in little bit of a it's not necessarily a prejudice, but uh, I, if someone comes in from New York and you're in a small town in Texas, the judge may say, oh, they don't think we can handle things here in Texas. And what you don't know, those are subconscious. Those are not, certainly the judge would say, oh, I would never think that. But but we all know there's a little bit of human nature involved in all aspects of life. And just the reality is you want somebody who knows the courthouse, who knows the, knows the other judge, knows the judge, knows the other lawyer on the other side, that kind of thing. So I think it is, even in
0: both in litigation and in transactional work. There are many areas where you're going to need a local person. My prime example is when I was in Texas, um, the, you know, I was interning for a judge and the judge said, if you're a New York attorney and you come to a courthouse in Texas, and especially when there are jurors involved, um, you're going to have a huge obstacle to overcome. And that's just human nature. In a transactional world, um, if we have a New York matter and especially a huge matter, especially real estate, um, we will definitely find a New York attorney from a big firm who can um, sit in and with our legal team. They may not do all the work, but for negotiation and things like that, you need a New York attorney to do the New York work. Um, because just certain industries in certain areas, they have kind of an unspoken rules, and you need to realize that. And if you don't, um, you take the consequences. Um, and, and it doesn't matter how great your attorney is, it, it got to serve your purpose.
1: One other thought on this is the idea of what type of lawyer? Do you need a litigator? Do you need a transactional attorney? So in order for someone to understand what type of lawyer to get, uh, your your neighbor down the street who's always, quote, in trial, is that the right lawyer to draft your master services contract, the sale of your products, a manufacturing rep agreement, a procurement agreement, some kind of statement of work, your license agreements for your startup or your ongoing business? I don't think so. So you need a good transactional corporate lawyer, general corporate lawyer for something like that who is drafting contracts all day has experience in doing them and knows what provisions need to be in your contracts to best protect you and your business. So I think you have to understand that a litigator, which is a person who goes into court, is not the right person in my mind to draft those things. Although I have told I have clearly in the past as an experienced corporate contract drafter gone to my litigator when I'm in the middle of drafting something and Ask them: Do you think this provision is enforceable? Do you think I could say it in a little bit different way? Because they have attempted to enforce contracts, but from the drafting side and the day-to-day business side, in my opinion, you're really much better off being with a a general corporate or experienced corporate lawyer who's drafted those kind of transactional type documents.
0: And the other side of this myth is, you know, whether any lawyer can just help you. A lot of people think if I just go to a big firm and give tons of money, then I got it covered. And that's not true either. Um, big farms, even though they have a lot of locations, offices, they don't have it everywhere. And if you are uh, buying properties in five different states, and it happened one place in Oklahoma, which we have that happen many times, uh, most big farms don't have offices in Oklahoma. And so <clears throat> what you have to do is to find smaller farms, um, supplement a big firm where they don't have offices, they don't have licensed attorneys. What we do for clients is really to consider all those factors, jurisdiction, what kind of matter it is, expertise they need, as well as do they need a big firm versus small firm um, and then or a combo of it. And then we go to talk to all of the attorneys, try to bring them together um, and discuss with the client of what each of the lawyers, their roles, and how they're going to fit in the budget. And if you don't have companies like seizure to help you, then what you have to do is be more proactive and ask a lot of questions. Don't think that one lawyer can help you, just like not one doctor can help you with all your needs. It's the same thing. Janelle, the next myth
1: I think we need to talk to these clients about is all lawyers are
0: expensive. I think that's a tricky question or a myth to bust because everything is relative, right? Relative to your expectation. Um, The things that makes lawyers expensive, which we have a whole episode that devoted to that, is because most lawyers are charged by hours. And that means you don't know how many hours they're going to be um, required to finish what you need and that's what makes it expensive and the other thing is like some of the lawyers are expensive you know in in terms of their $800 to $1,500 per hour um, a lot of large firms is within that hourly range a smaller firms can be anywhere from $250 to about $800 Um, so that's why you know earlier we say not One lawyer can help you. You got to have a combo of of a lot of them. And part of it is to think about um, whether lawyers, um, how to put them together so that they provide um, the objectives that you need and also fit in a budget. This is what I would say is you have to, first of all, do research in terms of how much, um, mostly most of the time the legal fees will will kind of cost for what you want to do. Some of the things is not possible to estimate. For example, litigation is just not possible because there are a lot of unpredictable activities will happen in court that the lawyers have to, to respond. And um, in transactional world, it's a little bit more predictable. And what's non predictable is negotiation process because if the other side is very difficult and they pour money into their lawyers, start you know, nitpicking everything in the document, you're going to spend a lot of legal time to go to negotiate those things. And that's when, uh, where you manage the ability to manage your attorney and manage the legal process is going to bring that uh, cost down. And then there are other things that I think, Phyllis, you mentioned before in other episodes about contingency fees. Maybe you want to highlight on that? I do. I think the other
1: um, thing is, is that Clients drive by billboards, see TV advertising all over the country, and those billboards generally advertise for personal injury cases and accident cases, and they give clients the mistaken idea that you only get charged if we win your case. Okay, well that is true um, in most contingent fee arrangements for personal injury and accidents, which are permitted in most states, if not every state, Um, but most business matters are not like routine personal injury matters. And business litigators rarely, if ever, handle business related litigation on a contingent fee arrangement. There's just too many risks. There's no guarantee that a particular side is going to win, uh, that kind of thing. So it would be very difficult for a business litigator. Uh, to negotiate and agree upon a contingent fee arrangement, so that's why you might think you're going in there. Oh boy, I could find somebody who could do this, and I only have to pay uh, when I win. Um, but then you get the reality check from the lawyers you go to speak to, and they go, "Oh no, my hourly rate is this, and I'm only I can only bill you by the hour." And you're so. I think that's where clients get a, a wrong impression.
0: And the other things. Really thinking about um, before you get to litigation, right? in the very beginning when you form a company, think about like building a house. Um, your foundation is an investment of your house. If your foundation is not building correctly, then in the future you have to spend a lot of money to get people to fix your house because it's sinking. So you need to think about at different stages of your companies. That legal work for you is an investment, is no longer just a cost. If you have a good attorney, transactional attorney that built good foundation for your company, in terms of company structure, tax, considering your liability to limit your liability. And when you have a uh, transaction, it's structured correctly and also um, they know what to do to bring in the right attorney to negotiate it correctly for you, then you're avoiding in the future of fixing problems, which is into litigation. Not that, you know, if you have an excellent um, transactional attorney, you never go to court. Nobody can guarantee that because, you know, it, it, unfortunately, legal world is trying to help you with human interaction, as we know, human relationships are messy. So, you know, at least lawyers trying to help you to structure in the way that if the messiness happens, that you have a limited um, liability at, to lower your risk. So really think about it from an investment perspective. As Sidra, you know, we do that. We help clients really to manage the legal process and also to talk to attorneys to understand you know, where are the most costly component of it to separate out those components and see if there are uh, things in the process we can have fixed fees and then things we cannot predate, we have reasonable hourly fees. And so we we will talk to the client and we since we're attorneys, we work, you know, in big firms, small firms, we kind of know the, you know, what they're thinking and, and really both sides to be happy. The last one I want to make on this is Yes, you should negotiate definitely with attorneys about the fees. But very important, keep in mind, they have not yet performed your work yet, right? This is different than getting a product. If you go to buy um, an apple and it's 50 cents and you negotiate down 20 cents, it's the same apple you put in your bag and you leave. Now, legal services, if it's 50 cents, like you say, 50 cents, and you negotiate down 20 cents, they haven't made your apple yet. So guess where, if they're going to agree to give you 20, to accept 20 cents to make that apple, and somebody else gives them a dollar, guess whose apple they're going to make first? It's just human human nature. So don't feel like, you know, I'm going to suppress the cost as much as possible, and I'm a wean. I can walk away and the attorneys still have to do my work. Yes, they will do it, your work, but they're human. So think about that when, you, um, when you're negotiating pricing. You want to be reasonable. You, what you don't want to do is for the attorneys to feel like, you know, they have to take your matter just because of the situation.
1: Our next myth, which is always an interesting concept when you're thinking about it from the client's perspective, and also we're lawyers, so we kind of think this way too sometimes. If I have a good lawyer, I will definitely win. What do you think, Genev? Is that, is that are we always gonna win if we have a great lawyer?
0: Um, first of all, I think this myth is based on assumption that uh try, you know, anytime you have a lawyer is about win and lose, and that is really um, thinking about from a litigation perspective, there is clearly a winner or a loser, I guess. But at the end of the day, what you don't want the actually the attorneys to think about to focus on is win and lose. What you want them to focus on is you and what your objective is. Okay, it's like a chess game. So in transactional world, if you have an attorney who keeps scores of whether he wins or lose in a negotiation, guess who at the end is gonna lose? You're gonna lose. Okay. I know an attorney I worked with, you know, many years ago, every single negotiation he he keep a scorecard. You know, every point he gets, he beats the other side up. He gives himself a score. And at the end, he would tally up. It's like, oh, look at that. I got 30, you got 10. This is not football, right? And just because you got a point out of something that you think is glorifying doesn't mean that it's great for the client. So it's not about win and lose. That's a very important thing. And in the myth it's about, you know, the myth was, if I have a good lawyer, I would definitely win. Your question is: If I have a good lawyer, I would definitely achieve my objective. That's, I think, that's how the myth should be think about. Now, even with a good lawyer, you may not achieve your objective. And why is that, Phyllis? Well, you mentioned the transactions uh,
1: situation. Let, let's take a look at it from the litigation side. In reality, on any given day, for any given matter, clients lose cases. Even if they have a great lawyer, or when the facts and the law are favorable to the client's position. In jury trials, juries make mistakes when deliberating. Similarly, for a trial before a judge, which we call a bench trial, judges make mistakes. So, why is that like really an awful scenario? Well, it's awful from two perspectives. Genev, do you want to take a stab at, at one of the reasons why? That, that becomes a real issue
0: when you lose. Yeah, because um, a lot of your contracts, which just get into dive into a little bit of legal terms, um, there's called prevailing party attorneys fees. What it means is you know if I, if you and I get into a contract and we have prevailing parties attorneys fees provision, um, that means if I sue you and you win, I have to pay your attorney fees not just my attorney, your attorney fees. Whoever wins pays for their own and the other side's attorney fees. So before you sue people, you need to also talk to a litigator and say, do I have this prevailing party or attorney's provision in my contract? And therefore, when I lose, I'm not just paying you, I have to pay the other side. What does that mean? How much does that cost? It, it could be very costly. It can be, Genev, particularly because while you as a client
1: control can control my fees in some way. For instance, if you set up a fixed fee arrangement with me or a reasonably priced fee, what I don't know is what the other side's attorney is charging. We don't know if the other side has done 20 times the amount of work, has five associates working on it. We have no idea what their fees are. We can't control the other side's fees at all. So Losing becomes you're paying my fees, which you might have an idea about, but you're also paying the other side's fees, which are not controllable by you at all. So that is really expensive.
0: Yeah. So really going to litigation, um, we always, even litigators would advise against it. There are litigators, of course, out there like, you should go to litigation because that's how they earn money. And that's the impression a lot of people have about lawyers. Most lawyers don't. Most lawyers would really advise their client, hey, can you settle? Why did you try to settle it? You know, with from the business side, don't go in litigation really I mean if you don't have to because we all know at the end of the day litigation is extremely expensive emotional, costly um, takes up tremendous amount of your time and you know and just because you have a good lawyer that you can go to a good litigator um, doesn't mean that it's gonna be a win situation for you even if you win in the, it, at the end you know even the judge said oh yeah you win. But think about how much money you spend and, and how much emotional time you have invested. right? So the, I think that myth is busted. So if you're a good lawyer, you would definitely win From many aspect of it. I think it's busted.
1: I also think one more point is I have clients who've said to me, oh, it's the principal. I want to sue on the principal or I want my day in court. Uh, I can tell you uh, that suing on principal is a very expensive proposition, no outcome is guaranteed. And no matter how good your lawyer is or how much you pay them, that, that you're not guaranteed a win. And uh, and as I've said to Genev, uh, sometimes the best lawyer is often the one who explains this reality to you as the client and advises you not to sue.
0: The other thing is very important is just because an attorney advises you not to sue or not to go in litigation doesn't mean that they're weak. A lot of clients feel like, oh, I have a weak attorney he's afraid of going to war. And that's not it at all. Because at the end of the day, it's not the lawyers who are paying the price. You are. And a careful attorney who cares about you would advise you that. If attorney just keep on telling you go to trial, then you actually need to sit back and reevaluate that situation. Ask another attorney and say, Do you really think in this situation I should go to litigation? You know, be ready to fight that battle. So that myth is busted. Let's go to the next one, which is more fun. The last myth that we're gonna talk about today. We always laugh about this one. All lawyers are rich. What do you think, Phyllis? Are you rich? Oh, I'm rich in
1: friendships. Wait, I'm rich in friendships. I'm rich in family. All of that. I have a wonderful business partners. You know, I'm I'm really rich in that regard. But in terms of monetary wealth, the answer is uh, it's a it's an interesting debatable point, and w- lawyers can differ on this. But the answer really is no. L- most lawyers are not rich. Um, the average salaries b- is somewhere around 85,000 per year, and that goes generally from 35,000 to over 100, excuse me, to 300,000. There's a huge range. And some lawyers, the famous ones you see on TV, others who started out as attorneys and built other businesses are rich. But most of the time, many lawyers, I would say, quote, make a good living.
0: And I think a lot of it is how TV projected a lot of TV shows uh, movies project lawyers. It's very glamorous. Um, you get to wear nice clothes, go to nice parties and mingle with important people. And, you know, you have this huge house, um, you know, a penthouse and it seemed like everybody is living like that. And then you have shows, you know, litigators are very powerful, Uh, decisive, aggressive, and those are uh, unfortunately a lot of lawyers become lawyers because of those impressions, those myths. And I would say 90% of attorneys don't live like that. They don't um, have that kind of salary. Legal work is just like doctors and nurses and plumbers. You know, we're just another job. And there's a lot of dirty side of the job. Uh, boring side of the job and most of the shows you see that go into court it takes years to go to court and during that years it's just reading a lot of paperwork reading cases you know you're on your computer all the time um, and resolving clients issues are not pretty the clients don't usually call us unless they being cornered and they have issues and they're not happy so you really have to love to being a lawyer. I think to really be happy in, in a lawyer, just like athletes, right? There are athlete stars earning you hear like thirty eight million dollars a year, but most athletes don't. Most athletes go to alum, Olympics. You know, they don't. They hardly can get any sponsors. So it, it's the same in every single industry. What do you think, Phyllis?
1: I think that's true. I I look at it that uh, not all actors and actresses end up being superstars and making, you know, lots of millions, and and not all lawyers are are making these big settlements that you might read about in the newspaper, uh, but there are many lawyers who are very good at their craft, just like actors or actresses or the plumber or whomever, and they're good at their craft, but they're working at it day by day, and they with hard work, experience, for the case of lawyers is sometimes a lot of higher education required, but they're just making, quote, average salaries. So we, we need to make sure that that everyone who's listening is understanding that 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 picture of the glamour is not exactly what's going on in the day-to-day for most lawyers.
0: One thing that we do want to point out in large firms, especially international firms, partners do make quite a bit of money. Uh, most of them make at least $400,000 or above to be a partner. Associates nowadays getting paid pretty high, $200,000 or up. And those are big numbers, right? In, in a society like ours, those are big numbers. Um, what they give up, of course, is really the 24 hours. They have to work 24 hours required, um, you know, seven days a week and 365 days. Um, of course, a lot of other jobs get paid a lot less that require that as well. Um, but their staffs are not getting paid anywhere close to that, much, much less. Right. I think that's the impression people have about, oh, lawyers all make that kind of money. There's only so many lawyers in big firms and there's so so many, only so many big firms. And there's only so many happy lawyers in those big firms. So you just need to, you know, when you look at lawyers, you don't kind of like thinking about them all living this glamorous life, have tons of money. And they're all blood sucker people that want to suck your money out of you. Most lawyers do the job because they love it. They want to help people. So really, um, I think that myth is busted. What do you think, Phyllis? At
1: C-Jura, we know how law firms and lawyers are getting compensated, and we know how to approach them to negotiate a pricing structure that will work for both the client and gives incentive to lawyers to do their best job for a client.
0: Jeneb, so where do we stand? Yeah, I think that we busted some good myths this week. Um, next week, we're actually going to look at myths about clients from the lawyer's perspective. If you're a business people, you're curious about what lawyers think about you or what wrong myths they have. Join us in next episode. It'll be fun. See you next time at Sujura Decoding Law. Thank you for listening to Sujura Decoding Law today. Next week, we will be discussing this topic from lawyers' perspective. You're welcome to join us even if you're not lawyers. At c we are reimagining legal services with innovative technology and processes. Visit us at cjoragroup.com. If you know anyone that wants to know how to use legal services to their advantage, please forward our podcast to them. See you next time.